The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Remain standing for just a moment. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I'll be beginning in verse 9. The Word of God says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray that you would receive it as such. You may be seated. As a citizen of America who loves this country very much. It is heartbreaking to see the divisiveness within our own borders. Will anybody be glad when Tuesday is over? I'm tired of seeing the hatefulness and the slander between citizens who disagree, the growing unwillingness to relate civilly to those with differing political views religious beliefs, and even moral frameworks. As a pastor, my heart is to help us as a church navigate these rather tumultuous waters. And I'll say that I do not have all the answers, but what I do know is this. We are called to love God with all of our being, and we are called to love our neighbor as ourself and by the way, that includes neighbors with a different moral framework than us. Amen? One of my great concerns is to see how many Christians, not so concerned with how the world's responding, but I'm, I'm concerned to see how so many Christians are responding to others with the same level of hatred and spitefulness of those who are in the world. And Romans chapter 12 gives us a great reminder of how we are to love those who are within the walls of our churches 
and those who are part of the world. I think this is a very timely message today. The foundation to this text is actually found in verse 9. If you're taking notes, I want to begin by looking at uh, genuine love. Paul tells the Romans and us in verse 9, let love be genuine. Our lives are inundated with people who to pre pretend to be something that they are not. Our culture actually in some ways encourages this to make ourselves live somewhat counterfeit lives. We see it with the politicians. It's evident in Hollywood. It's even often evident in the pulpit. And in the church, I'm afraid that we have learned sometimes to fake a love for people. We say we love because we know that's what we're supposed to do, but we don't act at times very loving even towards one another. And when we do act loving, often it is disingenuous. It's a bit pretentious. Greek word here for the word genuine is a new, let me try to say this, a new pokritos. A new pokritos, all right? I'm, I probably butchered that, but that's, that's the Greek word here. And it simply means this. Without hypocrisy, Paul is calling us to move past a pretentious kind of love and to love genuinely without hypocrisy. And then he goes on to say this, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So this tells me that part of love is actually hating evil and embracing good. And I point that out because this tells me that there is a real objective good and evil. Okay, I'm not a relativist. I, I, I believe that there is objective good and objective evil. I, I don't think that moralism, uh, I don't think that values are subjective. I think there is truly right and wrong. And that's not a popular view today. Part of this love is hating evil and embracing good. So my, one of the things I want to point out today is when I talk about these things and how we kind of navigate these tumultuous waters, um, this political season that we find ourselves in, I want you to know that I'm not requesting that you don't stand up for right and wrong because I think that we are called to stand up for right and wrong. It's clear we are to, we're, we're to reject evil. We're to renounce it, and we are to cling to what is good. But, but here's what I understand from the Scripture. There's a right and there's a wrong way to go about this. And often I think we're missing the mark as the capital C church, especially in America. So after laying down this general foundation about love, that it's to be genuine, that it means to, to hate evil and embrace good, Paul gives us now practical ways on how to love people both inside the church and outside of the church. So let's begin by looking at how we're to love those inside of the church. Verse 10, I'm just going to move verse by verse. It says this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, this means that we are to love one another inside the church as we would family. And I need to make a little note here to say, listen, a healthy family, 
Because some of you may not, I mean, if, if you go to, to family reunions and all you do is fight and, and, and bicker and complain and, and tear each other down, then no, I do not want you to treat us like your family, all right? We want, you, we want to treat one another like a healthy, God-honoring family. I want you just to consider some implications from this. Number one, it would mean that we are patient with one another, Aren't you patient with family members? I mean, you, I believe at times we need to give one another a break. Amen? I believe it also means this, that we listen, not just speak. To hear where the other person is coming from. We cooperate and work towards common goals. That's what a family does. We forgive. We're magnanimous. We're generous. We take care of one another. We stand up for one another. You know, if someone puts one of your family members down, aren't you quick, you should be, to stand in the gap for them and to, to stand up for them? What about when they're putting down one of your brothers or sisters in Christ? One more implication, and this is not obviously not an exhaustive list, but is that we simply sacrifice for one another. That's what you do for family. And then he moves on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. See, individuals in healthy families rejoice in the success of other family members. They love it when others are recognized and honored. There's an impressive story told about Queen Elizabeth that appeared years ago in a devotional called Today in the Word. And it says this, that, at a reception honoring musician Sir Robert Mayer on his 100th birthday, an elderly British socialite, Lady Diana Cooper, fell into conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her well. Lady Diana's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest until she peered more closely at the magnificent diamonds the lady was wearing and realized she was talking to none other than Queen Elizabeth. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Diana curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, ma'am, oh, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I did not recognize you without your crown. And Queen Elizabeth replied, It was so much Sir Robert's evening that I decided to leave the crown behind. Queen Elizabeth wanted the birthday boy to be honored above herself. And you know, often people, even in the church, want the limelight. They want to be honored. They want to be recognized. They want to be heard. They want their opinion to be valued. And often people will cut others down, even within the church, to make themselves look more honorable. But friends, it doesn't work, does it? It discredits you. It, it takes away from honor. Dishonors you. We should be intentional, church, about looking for ways to honor one another. Imagine if we just blew up Facebook this week with honoring others in this church. 
Just to say, hey, I appreciate Molly for this reason. She's got a heart for missions. I appreciate Bud King and the way that, that he takes over and, 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 and runs our men's ministry and sacrifices. And he can cook, too. Come on, somebody. And I, I look at Sid, and I can say, hey, I, I so, I'm so grateful for what she's done in our kids' department. And I can go on and on and on. And what if, what if instead of elevating the issues and magnifying those that are in our country right now, and I'm not suggesting that we never talk through those things, but what if we used even just the Facebook wall as a way to honor one another? And I'm not talking about superficially. I'm talking about intentional, heartfelt honor. What would that do for our church? Wow. We move on to verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And Paul is simply saying that when it comes to serving God and serving people, we shouldn't be slothful or lazy or do these things begrudgingly, looking to get by with as little as possible. Our love, see, should be dispensed with diligence and an eagerness to do good for other believers. We should also be, as believers, constant in prayer, especially for one another. Last week we saw where Paul said to Philemon, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. That's powerful. Let me ask you this. Who in our church did you pray for last week? Who in our church did you pray for the week before? We should be people who love God and each other fervently, always looking for ways to demonstrate that love effectively and genuinely. And then we move to verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The saints here would be other believers. And our care for the saints should go deep enough where it even touches our purses and our pocketbooks. I love what we're doing for this Thanksgiving outreach. And, and yes, we want to minister to our community, but sometimes we do that and we overlook the people in our own church who may be in need. And so we want to, if you're in need and you're at this church, listen, we want to help you. And I believe we ought to, it shouldn't take a program or an outreach to make this happen. When you see a need to the person in the pew in front of you or behind you or the person sitting on your left or right, and you have the means to meet that need, it should not take an outreach for us to make this happen. Meet the need. Meet the need. That's the kind of love that we're to have one for another you know, often, you know, people will come up and say, hey, I, I need food or I can't pay my electric bill this month or I can't do this. I don't have money for this. And if that was your own child or your brother and sister, you wouldn't just say, let me pray for you. If you have the means to meet that need, you meet the need. And this is the kind of fervent love that we're supposed to love one another with. And then we're even to go as far as showing hospitality to one another. I, I think this is more of an investment than money. Some people love to give money. That's because that's no sacrifice. They have plenty, but it's time. It's opening the home that is very, very difficult. 
People are very private today, aren't they, and individualistic. I remember as a kid, I used to walk uh, through uh, Forest Park, the neighborhood I grew up with in Winchester. And there were so many people sitting out on their front porch just uh, uh, waving, talking. We'd spark conversation. You know, a walk that should take 10 minutes ended up taking an hour or two hours because when we were walking with mom and dad, it would be like we'd have to stop at every house. And people were welcoming. People don't do that anymore. Front porches are almost a thing of the past. It's now we sit on our back deck because we don't want to be bothered. And it's become like this in the church. I remember the days where, you know, early on in ministry uh, 20 years ago when, when, man, we would be at somebody's house, it seemed like, every week, somebody different. It's rare. It's rare that people are welcome into one another's homes today. And I think that's tragic. We have some people in our church who are very, very good about this opening their homes for others. And, and I think that's a blessing. I think we need to cultivate more and more of this. And there's something about having someone in your home. There, there's a relationship that's formed. And you will start to be more patient, more loving, more gracious towards other people in the church because you'll get to know their heart, which you cannot do an hour on Sunday morning and an hour on Wednesday night if you're super spiritual. You can't just see them and, and come to church with them at those times, run out the back door when service is done, and expect to get to know people. You need to build community. I need to build community. All in all, we're called to love each other radically with this sacrificial, agape type of love, and even further, a family type of love. That's the people of the church. Now, what about the people in the world? What about the people who have a different moral framework than us? People who are even opposed to our beliefs, maybe even militant against our faith. Paul doesn't leave them out here. By the Holy Spirit, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And by the way, the persecution that we experience as believers in America today is nothing compared to other parts of the world, nor is it anything compared to what they experienced here in the first century, early church. See, the militant attitude that's becoming more and more prominent towards Christianity provides a great opportunity to demonstrate true gospel-drenched, selfless, radical love. See, the world can love those who love them. The world can love the people who are kind to them. They can be kind to the people who are kind to them, generous to the people who are generous to them. But, oh, the gospel takes us even further. It calls us to love those who even despise us. Not to debate them, not to try to overcome them or overtake them or destroy them, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. What's my job? It's to love them that they may see the glorious gospel, the beauty of the gospel, the selfless love that we have towards them. Luke 6.27, Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is radical. 
And I'm afraid we've moved so far from this. We let people get under our skin. We can't stand it when people in this country have a different opinion than we do. Don't expect lost people to act like saved people. That's a big mistake. And don't try to debate them out of those things and those behaviors. What you do is preach the gospel. You love them. You give them the gospel in hopes that God would reach the depths of their heart. And let the gospel change them. And as the gospel changes them, as we saw last week with Philemon, that's how cultural change and behavioral change comes. Listen, when somebody persecutes you, when somebody has a different moral framework than uh, what we see in the Bible, then just remember, this person doesn't know Christ and offer them grace and love them. Not just in declaration, but also in demonstration. And listen to them. Don't say, fold your arms and say, oh, I just don't know how you could be this type of a, have this type of a political view. I just don't understand how you, listen to them, ask them questions. The old adage is that people don't care how much you know. Until they know how much you care. And I just challenge you today, quit trying to be so smart and just love somebody. Quit trying to show people how intelligent you are. Quit trying to tell people that you, you know, how, how to fix everything. Show them the gospel, the only thing that can truly fix them. Give them the gospel. Love them. When you do that, maybe they'll start listening to you. This is why, listen, I have very strong views on some political uh, uh, things, you know. Um, there, there's some very things that I, you know, it's, it's values that are in the Bible I believe ought to be stood up for. But I don't choose to blast those things on Facebook because I've never seen it do any good. But here's what I know. If I see my, 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 my friend or who maybe doesn't agree with me on these things, and I just say something good about them or I bless them or I comment on how beautiful their family is or whatever it might be. Maybe as I listen to them and encourage them and love them, maybe that could be a bridge to where they might one day listen to me. And the starting point is the gospel, not politics. We're to love those who disagree even violently disagree with us ray steadman said love speaks well of its persecutors love speaks well of its persecutors i try not to even about the other political side try to i don't try to just uh you speak evil of them and, and down them and dog them. It doesn't do any good. Our, our language means something, and we're going to be held accountable for the words that we say, and we need to use those words every breath to build people up. Again, it doesn't mean, we go back to the beginning of this, it doesn't mean that, hey, anything goes. No, we are to abhor evil, it says, and we're to cling to what is good. But it goes back to saying there's a right and a wrong way to handle it. The only thing that's going to help the evil in this world, that's going to destroy it, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. So we're to truly walk in mercy. 
We're to, to walk in a way that, and, and speak in a way that others might see our good works and glorify our God who is in heaven. I look at this divide as a great opportunity if we'll handle it in the right way. Paul moves on in verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It's just, we're called simply to take time and sympathize with others. And again, we're so busy speaking. We're so busy speaking that we don't often take time to listen. I last week spoke with an African American who has a few different political views than me. And I didn't share any of my views. I just asked the question, what is it like in America right now? I, I said, I, I don't know what it's like to be an African-American female or a Caucasian female, just for the record. I said, uh, I, I don't know what that's like. I said, tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you feel. And I just listened. And while this person was speaking, I wasn't thinking of my comeback. I just listened. And I learned some things that I didn't know. I didn't understand. And not that I now have it all figured out. And I said to this person as well, by the way, I said, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be you. And I said, you know what? You don't know what it's like to be a, a white American male today either. And you know what? This lady listened to me. Isn't it amazing when you just take time and listen to one another? I can see sometimes in political conversation especially, somebody says something and the, I, the other person's not even listening. The wheels are turning. What's my comeback? Because you know the problem today? We don't want the best for our community, our country. We just want to win the debate. If you look deep down, and I'm not saying that's without exception, but that's the norm. If you watch the Facebook walls and you listen to the, the media, nobody cares. Listen, when, when Obama was president, you know, when you listen to right-wing news shows, I mean, that, they'll never give him anything. I mean, he could hand everybody in our country a million dollars, pay off the national debt and everybody, and we still find fault. And now with, with Trump in office, it's the same way. We're not going to give him, if you're on the other political side, because it's not about what's best for the country. It's just about me and my political views. It's identity politics or whatever it might be. I think that's sad. We as a church, listen, our identity is not Republican or Democrat. By the way, it's not even black or white. If you're a Christian... Friends, you have been crucified with Christ, and your identity is in Jesus Christ. If you got a hold of that right there, it would change everything. I, I'm tired of hearing about, uh, I'm just offended, I'm just offended. You don't have a right to be offended. Why? Because you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but he who lives in you. And they persecuted him, and they're going to persecute you. Get over it. 
Not only have you died with Christ, look at the great news. You've been raised with him as well. Hallelujah. You have new life that other people do not have. Celebrate that. And walk out in that joy. We're to take time and listen and sympathize with others around us. Listen, I, I may, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit and not say this. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to do that. Amen? Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Look, that was an illustration right there. Some of you, if I would have said that, wouldn't have been in harmony with me. And so, uh, illustration there. Thank you, Lord. We should not be the ones stirring up contention. It's okay for other people to disagree with you. We should go out of our way to live in harmony with other people. This is the opposite of getting on Facebook and blasting those who disagree with us. It's the opposite. We're to be peacemakers. We're to live peacefully with all. Then he says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. This means that we go out of our way to take care of the marginalized, to identify with them. It means we don't give priority to people because of their status or race or ethnicity or bank account. See, the gospel levels the playing field. We value all people because they are created in the image of God. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable. This is a little bit redundant to what we just talked about. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I would just encourage you. I'm, I'm sorry to harp on Facebook, but it's where we're at. And I want to just get this out today so I can move on. But here's what I would just challenge you with. When you write about immigration, or you write about racism, or you write against some political issue, or I, whatever. Or if you're comparing this president to the past, or the past president to this. what? Just think. Is this necessary? Is it helpful? And is this going to help me look honorable in the sight of all, not just my political side? And I bet half of what we post, or most of what we post, would go away. Right? Then he says, verse 18, if possible, and I, I recognize those words, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peace, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you heap burning coals on his head. Don't return insult for insult. Be a peacemaker. And you know what? The greatest thing you to do if you're on a Facebook wall is to give a soft answer because a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. And he says, be a peacemaker so far as it depends on you, which means just don't retaliate. Don't magnify hatred. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you post. Be careful what you say. Listen more than you speak. Listen to others' views who have maybe different worldviews than you. And here's the thing. Like, I understand. 
living peacefully with people takes more than you. There's some people, they don't want peace. That's why Paul says, hey, as much as it depends on you, that means that you're just not adding fuel to the fire. One commentator tells a story of a man that he met at camp one year whose daughter had been brutally murdered by a young man the family had taken into their home to help out. Can you imagine? And amazingly, this man, so changed by the gospel, repeatedly went to the prison to minister to his daughter's murderer. Finally, he led him to Christ and continued to visit him through the years. Here's a man who's been mastered by Christ's love. Hopefully none of us have to deal with people on this degree, forgive people to this degree where they've done harm to someone in our family on this level. But all of us have had people wrong us in the church and outside the church. And we need to offer grace one to another, not cut them out, not cut them off, not ridicule them. We're to pursue peace. Let's spend our time, church. Here's where I'll leave you. Let's spend our time proclaiming the gospel. Not being hateful towards people. The gospel is what brings about real, lasting cultural change for the better. And the gospel is our basis for treating others with civility and love. And here's why I say that. I have people on my street, you likely have people on your street with different moral frameworks, different political views, different values, different faiths. And it would be easy if it were not for the gospel for me to puff my chest out and stick my nose in the air because I have the truth. And I am so much moral, more moral and so much greater than you. I'm so holier. I'm so much holier than you are. But the gospel crushes that kind of an attitude. Because here's what the gospel reminds me. This is why the gospel is not just for unbelievers. You know this if you've been in this church any time. It's for us every day. Because the gospel reminds me every day, I am not saved because of my own morality. I'm not saved because of my political affiliation. I'm not saved because of my own wisdom. I'm not saved because of my knowledge. I'm not saved because of the degrees on my wall. I'm not saved because of my ethnicity. I'm not saved because of my pedigree. I'm not saved because of my talent. Because God said, saw something in me and said, oh, I want that one. Man, he's great. You heard that boy preach? No, God didn't say that about me. He didn't say it about you. He saw somebody who was crushed and broken, who could not repair themselves. Somebody useless who can do nothing apart from Christ, but someone he loved. I said, oh, I choose him like I chose Abraham, not because of merit, And you believed upon Christ. And Christ has saved you. You're saved not because, because of your 
good behavior. <laughs> By grace, through faith in Christ, you've been saved. So what that tells me is this. Those people on my street, I'm no better than them. I'm no better than them. I'm no wiser than them. I, I have every reason to believe my neighbor a couple houses down who may not agree with me on everything could at times be a better father, a better husband, better worker, smarter, wiser, whatever. I am who I am, Paul said, by the grace of God. And that's it. That's it. How can we be hateful and spiteful against people who disagree with us when we've been saved only by the gospel? I don't get it. Let's come back today. So here's what's on my heart. I preached this text. I'm sure you don't remember unless you've written it down in your Bible somewhere. But I preached it right before the election, the last presidential election. And I went on into verse, chapter 13 and verse 1. And I just feel today that the Lord's calling us as a church to repentance. And I know this isn't comfortable. I know it's not popular. We just want a feel-good message. But the, the greatest thing you can do today, the greatest thing your children can do, your, spouse, your children can see, your, your spouse can see, is someone who is humble and says, Hey, you know what? I've not been perfect in this. I've not been perfect in this. I feel a call to repentance as a church. Not so much for what we've said, but how we've said it. I'm calling us as a church to listen more, to love greater. And let's not be distracted by politics. Oh, are they important? I, I hope you go vote Tuesday. I hope you go vote. And I hope you vote based not on party, but on, on values that line up with the Word of God. I hope that's how you vote, and I hope you take that very seriously. But no matter what happens, don't consume you. Don't let it consume you because you, friend, before you're a citizen of America, you brothers and sisters are citizens of heaven. And we're supposed to feel like aliens and pilgrims in this world. It's all right if it doesn't go your way. It just gives you more opportunity to love people who don't agree with you radically. It's an incredible opportunity. So I call us to repentance. And now I want to read in closing this, um, this one post from a good friend of mine. Uh, Britton Cottrell was on staff with him in Greeley, Colorado. Just did a uh, over a week mission trip in Africa. And if you've never been on a, on, a, on a missions trip or you've never been to another part of the world where they don't have what you have, it, it really changes the way you perceive things. And he had just touched back on American soil, just landed at the airport. And here's what he wrote. He says this, we're once again back on U.S. soil. I must say this never gets old. That feeling you get after being away and you touch down again in the greatest country on earth. I don't usually post anything that's political or controversial in nature, but today I feel like I just have to say a few things. Many people are bl not blessed with an opportunity to travel to see the world, to experience and understand just how many, how, how most people on this planet live. But I'll tell you that there's no greater nation 
than the one I call home. We're blessed, free, prosperous. As people, we don't always agree. However, each one of us enjoys freedoms and privileges that just don't exist elsewhere in the entire world. I'm grateful for the sacrifices that others have made so that I can live in this great land. Most often, we take for granted the lifestyles we are privileged to live. And many times we get so blinded by our differences and our political views that we forget just how blessed we are. We miss opportunities to be blessings to another and we forget to cherish our own freedoms. Today as I reflect, I'm so thankful for God's blessings in my life. I'm humbled by the life I get to live. I'm proud to be a citizen of the United States of America. May I never get too complacent that I forget to bless others. May I be a person of gratitude and share the blessings God has given me. May God bless the USA. It just resonates with me. Friends, we are blessed to live in the country that we do. Let's not make light of that. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste the finances. Let's not waste the freedoms. Let's not waste the opportunity. Not to show people how smart we are, but to move the gospel forward and be a blessing to others. I'm just calling you to love today. And I challenge you real practically this week on Facebook to write something good about somebody else in this church and even somebody that differs with you politically, maybe somebody that's not even a Christian, honor them. Honor them. Just say something kind against the other political side. I dare you. And watch God move. Watch opportunity rise up for you to be able to share the gospel. I'm calling us to repentance. These altars are open today. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would come. Are we singing? What are we singing, Bob? How great is our God? Perfect song. Let's not worry about politics. Let's remember how great our God is. No matter what happens Tuesday, how many know our God's still on the throne? You can't remove him. He's a faithful God. He's a powerful God. He's an awesome God. And as we consider this, listen, if there's anything in your heart you need to repent of, no matter what it is, I would just invite you to come join me at the altar today. And let's pray together and say, God, if we've done anything to that would dissatisfy you or quench your spirit, Lord, we want to change it. We want to repent, and we want to go the other way. We want to bless those who curse us. And may it be so this day. Father, help us speak to our hearts. Move us to repentance. It's your kindness, the Word says, that leads us to repentance. Let it be so today, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m., visit us online at myrealchurch.org.